0: This week's guest on Racers and Rental Cars is none other than Brad Zimmerman. He has been around the world of NASCAR motorsports, over into IndyCar F1. He's been a podcast guy. This guy, if it's got four tires, well, wait a minute, two wheels, four. Anyway, Brad's been doing it for a minute, and we are going to talk about what I consider one of the most historic marketing programs in motorsports to date. And that is Target. We'll be right back with Brad in one minute. Let's put it up for the weekend
1: warriors. Hits the Racers the and Rental Car Podcast with us. your host, Top Fuel Cam Cameron no Bray, and his co-host, hard. Mr. Top hard. Sportsman, Don so O'Neill. Keep on till they get it.
0: This week's episode of Racers and Rental Cars, we're going to deep dive off into some big news that's going on this week, and oh yeah, we're going to have an awesome guest on, but first, let's get into it. Folks, I need you. I, I always need you, right? I need you all the time, all the time. We talk about it, rate, review, subscribe, like, share, all that, I really do. I really, really need you to do that. But this week, got something different going on that I want you to be involved with. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to head over to
1: racersandrentalcars.com
0: slash help Don out. I want you to fill out this form, put Don, D-O-N in the referral line. And I want you to tell them Racers and Rental Cars is your field rep and it's going to put you in a drawing for NGK, NTK, $100 gift card. Going to give away two of them this week. Go over again, sign up, put Don in the referral line. In the field rep, you're going to put in there racers and rental cars. Going to put you in a drawing for a $100 gift card to the NGK Gearhouse. And let me tell you, hoodies, North faces. Awesome. Awesome wear. You see me wearing it all the time. Get involved in it. It's for technicians. You can get insight into your personal car, racing insight, NTK sensors, NGK spark plugs. Again, racersandrentalcars.com slash help Don out. Put Don in the referral line and and cars is your field rep get in and get signed up all right huge news as i'm recording this show tim wilkerson joins the Skag family along with tony schumacher in 2023 and nhra funny car jimmy johnson legacy on track today got some photos shared out there in the social media world from our Friend of the show, Mark Rebellis, ex-Navy guy, posting up some Jimmy Johnson photos. And also, again, another sponsor announcement for Kyle Bush, RCR. Last week, I talked about it, didn't really go in-depth, but just threw it out there as a small tidbit. I'm sitting back here, an innocent bystander of observation. And I wonder, have you ever heard the phrase, it was cheaper to not have them be your customer? And I'm beginning to wonder if JGR took that approach with Kyle Bush. Because I'm telling you right now, I can't open my phone outside of two days and not see a kyle bush rcr announcement it hasn't happened rcr it has no problem filling inventory it looks like over there for kyle bush very concerned about that and in you know there's a there was a lot of a lot of Conversation and people making comments about Kyle and his flexibility and what he was asking for and so forth. And again, that's all behind the scenes stuff. I'm just going off what we see on the surface and go, huh? Wow! So RCR again making another announcement for Kyle Busch. Uh, still hearing the conversation about Kyle Larson and the IndyCar ride in 2024. I think that's going to be pretty awesome. Stand by and watch as uh, how they handle the progression and learning curve for Kyle and the partners that come on board for Kyle's 2024 Indy, Indy 500 and the Coca-Cola 600 going to do the double. I think that's going to be awesome to be listening and hearing about how they're logistically going to handle everything moving forward. It's not the first time it's ever been done. So uh, I'm sure we'll get to hear some insight from the world of motorsports. That being said, racersandrentalcars.com
1: slash help Don out.
0: And we're going to dive off in to this week's guest, but please don't forget this weekend after you download me, Cam's out doing the motocross thing. I will be on Flow Drag Racing, U.S. Street Nationals in Bradenton. Stop by. Watch, leave a comment in the chat box. Don't know that I'll see it, but the production team will, and so will the world. And uh, we'll see how I do for my debut on camera. As the guy that's got a face for podcasting and radio, they're going to let me be in front of a camera. God help us all. Flow Drag Racing this weekend, U.S. Streetcar Nationals, Bradenton, Florida, Florida. Over 50 pro mods going to be on the property. I am stoked for that, and the weather looks good. Last year they did not have a winner, winner in any of the classes because of the weather. It was cut short. So looking forward to this year. You'll have Brian Loans on the mic as well from the tower, and I will be down in the pits. Courtney Enders will be handling some content. And uh I will uh, see how well I do. That being said, let's get into our guest. <laughs> We're going to jump right in. Brad Zimmerman, how are you doing this evening, sir?
1: Good, Dom. Thanks for having me. This is going to be fun.
0: Okay, well, you've really set the bar high if you came (laughs) right in off the top rope and said that it was going to be fun. Uh, We joke around on Racers and Rental Cars that we are the moving dumpster fire. If you think your life is bad... And you need somebody to pick you up. You tune in each week to Racers and Rental Cars, and Cam and myself will make you feel better about your own life. Perfect. <laughs> well, well, Brad, uh, again, you're, you're a busy person. You've been around the world of motorsports, everything in marketing, partnerships, business development. Currently, your long title that will not fit on a business card is What?
1: So I am the, uh, uh, I work for Pratt Miller and I am the partnerships and marketing director for motorsports within Pratt Miller.
0: Again, will not fit on a business card. So yeah. that must mean that you're way up in the chain there.
1: Uh, maybe. I, I think the best way to, to explain it is I'm not on the competition side. So.
0: <laughs> right. But if you don't do your job, the competition side really doesn't have any kind of competition.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. The um, you know, it's it's a little deceiving that maybe the casual motorsports person will see a driver and a few mechanics, but um, if you're seeing them on television, there's usually a small army of people behind them making that whole thing work. And uh, I'm I'm definitely a part of that crew, although I am uh, usually behind a computer or on a phone. <laughs>
0: Well, and I know that is the one thing I learned early on in my military career is you don't have to be the smartest person in the room, but you've got to have the smartest people in the room around you.
1: That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Figuring out what you're good at and also figuring out what you're not good at. And whatever you're not good, go find those people to cover the gaps. And that's usually the best way to attack everything.
0: Well, you know what? That's the problem with our production team at Racers and Rental Cars. They thought we were good at this show. And (laughs) unfortunately, somebody needs to figure out what they're good at because picking out talent is not what we are good at. All right. Well, I, again, we talked previously. I really want to expose our audience to your. Time, which was I believe was like almost a decade at Chip Ganassi Racing, that Target Chip Ganassi Racing in in NASCAR Nextel Cup, whatever, however many different titles that, that would yeah. change there. Yeah. I mean, that was a long relationship with Chip before he passed on and sold the sold the team over to Justin Marks and then became Trackhouse Racing. Yeah, but tar- but Target in the marketing of that was all B2B. It was, it was a large relationship. I, and I just want to, I want to expose our audience to it and, and be able to talk about it. So I'm just going to kind of be quiet and let's just start at the top and say, okay. how in the world did that relationship
1: get started? So, um, so I, I was with Chip from uh, June of 10 to uh, just about uh, very early 2019 Um i think uh december of 18 right around there so yeah it was a while it only felt like 20 years (laughs) but um yeah we uh we were in everything it felt like except formula one but at one point um we were you know uh two car cup two car xfinity four car sports car four car indy car two car grc and um and many of those cars had multiple drivers and it was just it was bananas of how much we had going and working on the business side of things uh, we were actually a pretty lean team we didn't have what you'd think is like a front office uh, quantity um I, I think we had about 12 people and that included it and hr so um we were a very lean team um uh, on the account management side Um, and the sales side, we had people that were crossing over between all the different series. So we were, we were everywhere. It was, it was exhausting. It was a lot of work, but looking back on it now, it was great because it was a very quick learn for everybody and, um, just gained a lot of valuable knowledge, but, um, uh, started, uh, when the target program was, was pumping right along. Um, they, um, they had it was a two car IndyCar team, so it was uh, Scott Dixon, Dario Franchitti, and IndyCar, and then they had the 42 on the Cup side, which was uh, when I started. It was Montoya, and we were there during the transition over to Larson. And um, uh, the first third of my time there, I was pretty much responsible for new business development. And uh, that was across all platforms, and just literally dialing for dollars, um, sharpening my investigation skills to find the right people to get in front of, um, and figuring out and using the open inventory that I had to present to certain people to make it work um, uh, down the road. So uh, it was it was fun. It was stressful. Um, you know, the joke in the office was, you know, motorsports sales. Uh, especially if you're selling one-offs or three-offs, something like that, you're selling fruit. Like one day it's worth, you know, full price. You know, the next few days it's like, well, oh, it's a little bit discounted, and eventually it's going to be worth zero because the event's going to pass and you're going to have open inventory. So um, it was always a dance we had to play and and just try and um, uh, whether it was online, in person at events, uh, going to other events uh, to try and find these these people to get together. Um, so as I started doing that, um, I was not specifically assigned to target, but being because we were a very thin company, I would just listen and osmosis. And over my time there, I I got to look more and more behind the curtain and just being a car geek, I, I started, I really wanted to figure out exactly what that question is. How did the relationship start? So, um, I think we got chip to confirm some of these points, But if you look back to the end of Mario Andretti's open wheel career, he raced the the Kmart car. And if you look at some of the associate sponsors on the Kmart car, those ended up becoming a lot on the Ganassi cars. And, uh, you know, he had that very famous in-car camera shot from over his shoulder where you could see the side of his helmet and his helmet always had Energizer on it. Um, So, I don't know what happened if kmart just said we're out they had financial trouble i don't know what it was but that model and the way it works as best i can tell was actually started by kmart Um, i'm sure it was refined and twisted and massaged a little bit but um uh, 87 88 89 right around there the ceo of target uh was also a big open wheel fan and chip knew that And so uh, Chip reached out to Target's sports marketing agency. And I think at the time, Target was looking to get into sports and um, they made that connection. Now, the the interesting, uh, fun, historic thing is that uh, when Chip got into IndyCar racing, he bought in a portion of Pat Patrick's team. He was like a minority investor and they signed an agreement to the following year. Uh, Chip was going to take over full control of the team, and that was the same year that Emerson Fittipaldi won the Indy 500. And uh, Chip's like, "Great, you know, I got a winning team here. I'm going to transfer it over." Pat Patrick said, "Oh, I don't, I don't want to sell." And Chip says, "Screw you! You, you signed an agreement, so they." Chip sued him, and Chip won, and he won. You know, parts and pieces and cars. Um, and I, I think it was roughly a million dollars cash, something like that. And so Chip, knowing he had house money, went to the CEO of target and said, um, I'll give you a program, a target racing program with my team. And for the first year, it's going to be free. You just have to tell me by June, if you're going to renew or not. And that's how it started. So, um, the the bones of it i don't know if it was exactly the same as how like when the program ended but that's that's roughly how it came to be um the the offer that chip made to the ceo and and off they went and um you know when i was there we had the 25th anniversary of that relationship between ganassi and target you know it's like target you know budweiser with kenny bernstein They, you know, I don't even think Skull and Snake have gone that long, but like you can count them on one hand, the amount of race teams and consistent sponsors have been with them for 10, 20. It's like hardly anybody. So awesome program. Um, and it was, it was a program where it truly was a win for everybody that was participating in it. So, um, it is, uh, fans watch racing on TV and they may say, oh, it's, you know, it's a Target car and um, it was really a B2B platform. It was a very um, uh, stepped leveled B2B platform where everyone won. So all the associate brands on the car, they got team assets and they got assets within Target retail. Target was getting the majority of the branding because it was always a red car with white logos and we the team got money to go race so everyone was was winning from it so when i left there was 1700 ish targets retail facilities uh, in the us alone and um, target really adopted um, some of the um, uh, aspects of the racing program so like when you walk into a target store there's an a and a b and the path around the Target store, in, inside Target Corporate is actually called the racetrack. And they have an inter, and they have an internal slogan called Speed is Life. So um, they really, this was not an ancillary thing. They really wrapped their arms around the racing program. And so Target's leverage was, they had all these retail out, uh, outlets and the brands were killing each other to get in to sell into Target so they used that power to leverage vendors to help pay for the racing program and there was um so they target capped it they wanted exclusivity so there was no more than 15 companies at one time that could be in the program um they uh the vendors could not use trade dollars this had to be an incremental spend over and above what they were paying So, um, you know, they may have been paying trade dollars to help, you know, buy media or buy advertising or pay for discounts. They couldn't shift that. This had to be an incremental spend in order to get in the target program. There was three levels, good, better, best. and, And the good, better, best applied to the assets within target retail. And they also applied to the team assets. So a good was, you know, you get you know, sticker on the fire suit on the arm. You get a a B post or a deck lid for a few races and you get uh, an invite to come to one of the target events throughout the year, target racing event throughout the year, something like that. All the way up to the best was um, uh, uh, car primaries. So you get to control uh, the look and feel of the car. um, Full fire suits. Then you actually, we, we printed a bunch of extra fire suits that they could use for giveaways and things like that. Um, time with your buyer, um, more invitations to these Target racing events that there was for roughly four a year um, that you can go hang out, um, intermingle with other CEOs, talk with your buyer in person, maybe talk with the CEO of Target if he was there. And then the, the golden horseshoe from a retail standpoint was an end So every aisle in Target, the end cap um, was always like where everyone wanted to be. And it, this target was not guessing at any of this. When it came to retail space, down to the shelf level, down to the width of how much they're giving you, they know how much product they're going to move. So that's, again, they use their leverage point to um, help pay for the race program. So apart with uh, vendors' incremental spend at the best level, they got a couple primaries on a car. They got a bunch of retail assets, including a spot on the end cap and roughly that's how it worked. Um, it, it just built momentum up year over year. And, um, ult- ultimately this was not a cost center for target. This was target was making money on their race program. And when I've explained this to other people, especially people that are, you know, starting out, maybe funding their kid to go karts or, a you know, late model team. And I tell them their racing program is actually profiting, is making money, you know, their head explodes um so it's uh it's just leveraging buying power um and it's leveraging what people want and um so i always tell people like what is your end cap what is the one thing that people want from you from a business standpoint and is it is it a big enough thing where you can help you know direct some money towards your race program and that's that's basically how all of these b2b programs work you know some are more glorified than others. Some aren't very glorified, like Menards had a, had a B2B program, a vendor program, and it's very less glorified than the target one because we were able to kind of see how that worked. Um, and then um, uh, the uh, Dollar Store or whatever it was, they were with Gibbs for a while, very much set dollar up General. like the same way. Dollar General. So um, there's been other flavors of vendor programs at the retail level, but I, I, I really do believe that the, the target program was the most comprehensive detailed uh, program
0: out there. Oh, and and that's a that's some great insight. I you know I never heard that inside the t- Target headquarters that was actually called. You know they had that had that about the inside of the way it moved. But I always yeah. knew that about when you walked into a Target store. When you walked in, there were certain. Companies or brands, if you will, yep. that had products in certain locations. As you walked around and in, 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 inside Target, and yep. all of the encaps were different. Some of them were similar, maybe one on each side of the store. You know, as as they grew into grocery yep. sides and things of that nature. And and it was. I mean, I remember doing a case study about Target in grad school. I mean, it was. It it was just a historic, it was always talked about, right? Sports Business Journal, Julius, everybody talked about what the value was of Chip Ganassi Racing and the relationship with Target and how they leveraged it. And I always thought that Menards probably didn't benefit the way they probably should have. You know, they didn't leverage uh, with that. Uh, But, you know, moving forward now, if, if we stop to think about it, Who would you say has got the best B2B program going forward now on the surface? I I mean, Penske obviously comes to mind for a a lot in the modern era just because of the significance of Penske. But I I mean, I, I struggle to find someone that's legitimately got some upswing, if you will, in the B2B marketplace.
1: Yeah, Penske might be the best example, although it's it's built a little bit differently because those are all of his companies. And Roger uses his motorsports platform as Penske Corporation's marketing arm. Um, that, when people see those cars, that is Penske Corporation. And then when you start looking at all the names, all the brands on the cars, when you start looking at when he uh, the races he promotes, which I think it's Detroit, maybe a couple others, all the companies that are buying the suites, those are all like, so he um, uh, he is a case study all into himself, and he has done a phenomenal job uh, over the 50, 60 years he's been doing this. So that's probably the best one. Um, there are, um, you know, another one is, although, and, and again, they're all kind of different, but, um, you know, hendrickcars.com. Um, on, the, on the NASCAR side and you start to see it bleed over into drag racing and pro stock. And then I'm sure you'll see cars or HentrickCars.com on Kyle's IndyCar. Um, that's, that's really his own B2B deal that it's, it's his own money. <laughs> but he, right. is, he is using properties that he owns to get the benefit of being on television to help drive his business. So therefore, in theory, it could start to help pay for itself. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it's unfortunate that there's not a lot of traditional sponsorships left. Um, and this, this is something that, uh, I have, as, as long as I've been in it on the NASCAR side, I think all but about two years, the audience has been in a decline. I think 2013 and 2000, I don't know, 15 or 18, there was a couple spikes in NASCAR, but ever since then it was just been declining. And, um, you know, we... We as a motorsports community, you know, IndyCar is not competing with NHRA, like NASCAR is competing with a uh, Twitch streamer, um, and uh the uh, uh, um the you know ice capades and the the zoo and we're competing with good weather and like the competition doesn't end. It, it's way it's way outside motorsports. So um You know, people are fighting for attention. And if you can get attention through whatever means that's going to draw money. And, um, whether that's motorsports or professional wrestling, like that's, that's, that's how you do it. That's what, that's what the, um, sponsors are ultimately paying for is a, is not only a decent sized audience, but an engaged audience. And, um, and something that they can, uh, a platform that they can mold where they can sell their products and services. I still think that is the ace in the hole for motorsports unlike stick and ball sports, you know, I'm not selling an outfield wall or a banner, a ribbon banner at an NBA game. Like nobody cares about that stuff. It's nice to have, you know, and I'm sure it plays into a bigger picture, but um you know the I always thought it was fun cuz I I think I'm kind of creative. So when I would talk to people about sponsorship and partnership programs, I'd be like, what do you want? What do you want to do? Like if it's not bolted to the floor, I could sell it. And that's the beauty of a motorsports partnership or sponsor based sports. You can kind of do whatever you want, as long as you're outside of the bowl, you know, so you can't get into rights issues with, you know, photography and video and stuff at a racetrack, but anything outside of a racetrack is fair game. So that was always really exciting for me.
0: You know, w- when I sit back and, and we do, we we talk about a lot of different opportunities or perspectives, right? I think that's you know, you said you oh, you think you're creative, and and I sit back and go, okay, I'm not a creative individual, but the network of the business aspect of it of, of th- putting this person with that person or putting this yep. person in touch with that person or or how do we how do we expand your as you said audience right let's let's impact just direct consumer conversion if you will like yep. those things are feasible at every level of motorsports I yep. just, you, you know, I, you talked about go-karts and motocross, you know, and Cam's doing things with his kids on on e-motorcycles and so forth out in California. And, and these companies see it just like we do, right? Being from North Carolina, what do we do? You got to put a seed in the ground, you got to fertilize it, you got to yeah. nurture it, and you got to wait for it to grow. When, when you think about growing an audience, The And and I'm going to do this from the NASCAR side because yesterday I heard an an interview and I thought it was very intriguing what he was saying. When you think about NASCAR and NHRA, as you've made a little correlation with Mr. Hendrick, what do you think when it comes to which one of those two motorsports has a significant drama impact of the audience, as you referred to, like the WWE style of getting an engaged, active, growing
1: audience? Well, it's, it's fascinating to me because uh, now that I am away from NASCAR and I watch it uh, as probably a little bit more than a casual fan on Sundays, um, it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's watered down, but it's pretty vanilla. And anytime there's um, some drama that's, that's kind of percolating to the surface, I stand up and I cheer it, but then, you know, there's half the fans hate it, you know, they want to see good racing. And then the other half, they say, well, I just want to see crashes. Like, I think the right answer is yes to everything. Like uh, you shouldn't. And I I think that's one of the things that I would wish NASCAR might. And again, this is just me spitballing here, but it's okay to have six different audience segments and create material and content for all of those audiences. It seems like NASCAR has been in this it's either the old fans that got us here or the new fans and there's no middle ground. Um, so th- there's a lot of, you know, NASCAR still the 800 pound gorilla in the room. They still control the majority of motorsports eyeballs in North America. So they still have a big stick. Um, I am not sure how much upside they have because it seems like, especially with the RTA and stuff, there's kind of like a stalemate kind of happening with TV money and the teams want more money all this stuff. Um, I I grew up in Southern California. I was a drag racing fan first and foremost. And and television and motorsports is a double-edged sword. You want it to be on TV so as many people can see it, but when it's on TV, it's it's just neutral. You can't feel it, you can't smell it. It it just loses a lot of its punch when it's on television. And the best part about drag racing is if you can get somebody to an event, which I've had sponsors paying us money and they still won't come. <laughs> If you can get people to an event it becomes a whole lot easier to communicate what you're trying to do and um nhra to me was built for social media but i also think social media has killed nhra because you have all the pr people that they stand there live and they say oh you know we won here's the time left lane one or whatever so i don't i don't need to watch it on television i just watch twitter so that, that's another thing but um gambling in the NHRA, oh my God, it's built for that. And the fact that they don't have a gambling partner is crazy, crazy. So, um, uh, the the uh, diversity, I mean, they were the most diverse motorsports back in the 60s. And the set, they had a female championship and uh, ch- uh, a championship uh, driver, female, 1975. Like, they were the first on just about everything in motorsports nobody knows about it the people that know about it are my age or older and to me that is that breaks my heart because that was like my first love was drag racing so um I hope they could they could steer the ship in a better direction but in terms of upside in terms of colorful personalities uh in terms of um uh uh, access you know no one beats sanitary access nobody not even close and you know, it, it's getting a little crazy because the you know, the top levels you don't want to jerk around your opponent too much. But I remember Doug Herbert getting burned down and he got out and he was starting to fight. Like that's awesome. <laughs> so, he
0: was gonna what he was gonna whoop Clay Milliken's ass, is what he was gonna right. do, right? That's so, right. So, but 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 you're absolutely right from that. Okay, so, And so here I want what drove me to ask you that question. I was listening to Kevin Harvick talk, talking about how he came up through the ranks and came into RCR when, when senior passed away. Right. And he said, you know, there were times when if we're not good on the racetrack, give them something to talk about to distract from the fact that you weren't good on the racetrack. Right. But, but be compelling, be, be, be part of the story, but let's, you know, divert the attention that we weren't that good on the racetrack. and we. And I say we I'm talking about NHRA racers as you know, last week I had Erica on and, you know, she's a five time champion. She takes a damn beating on the Internet from all the keyboard warriors because she's a female racer and blah, blah, blah. But you know what? There's I told her there would be nothing better than to see her get out of the car at the top end of the racetrack. And talk smack to somebody because they're going over there to take the awning down and she's going on in the next round. Like we, you know, you talk about the social media aspect and the content control and what goes out and when it goes out and what audience segments. I I totally agree. I think there, I mean, you know, let's take um, you know, I think back to the national championship game a few weeks ago, watching it on TV. ESPN had like eight different channels for the game. Right, different people talking, an analyst yeah. talking, you know, former players talking. You know, yeah. that's um, I, I totally agree. Like, how people consume content is specific to them, and we should not, um, you know, chokehold it, if you will. Uh, WWE yeah. reference, <laughs> you know, right. <laughs> to, to get some entertainment value, and, and, yeah, okay. and you, we are competing,
1: yeah, that's um, that's. Funny you mentioned that, but, um, I think one of the trends that's going to catch more fire is alternative broadcasts and whether it's, um, broadcast television supported by their streaming offering, or if it's on Twitch and they work out a deal with, they get the right squared away or whatever, but you should be able to, um, people in all different walks of life should be able to watch a single broadcast. And if you want to hear a different take on it, you should be able to have that option. And the Manning cast on ESPN or yes. whatever it is, is phenomenal um, because sometimes those games are stinkers and you don't want to watch the game and you get itchy trigger finger and you want to change a channel, but the banding, the, you know, they banter back and forth. They bust each other's balls. It's, Funny, so now they just um, uh, Bill Walton has uh, been given his own alternative broadcast for NBA games. Uh, he's a very colorful, colorful person, so that's going to be engaging. And um, like I remember, like Dave to Spain and Wind Tunnel. If I can watch Dave watch either IndyCar, NASCAR race, or drag race on an alternative broadcast, I would watch him all day long. I would I would make an effort to watch it all day long. So. Um, I think i I think the sanctioning bodies and broadcast partners need to listen, which I'm sure they are. They have expensive tools to do that. Listen to social media to what people are saying, and find a voice that represents those larger groups and give them and give them the space to interpret the event differently. Um, because, like you know, when it's Junior and Mike Joey and whoever in the booth for NASCAR race, they're trying to appeal to everybody. Three people are trying to appeal to everybody literally. And if they literally make one slip up of either a wrong word, or they should have used a different word, either the old people beat them up or the young kids beat them up, but it's just like a no win situation, you know?
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, if you take that, let's go with the NASCAR side, right? I mean, who I would... And I know I may very well be alone. I would listen to Clint Boyer talk all the way through a broadcast with his sense of humor, right? I mean, Emporia, Kansas, you know, and he, and he grew up from all that. And the same thing, it's the same reason why people turn in, tune in, sorry, turn in, tune in and download Dale Jr. And Dirty Mo Media and Door Bumper Clear. And, and they, they have these different audiences, right? Like, Right here, I'm a closet guy. I have no problem bringing this out. Yellowstone has its own podcast that gives you behind the scenes conversation about this trending show, right? Taylor Sheridan and, and so forth. We consume the content in so many other ways, social, yep. Twitter. Instagram, Facebook, you know, like you talked about Twitch, which took off with, with, you know, during the COVID with, 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 you know, simulator racing. I, I just don't know at what point we're going to get, get what we asked for, right. Get what we want. I, 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 I want content and I want excitement and drama. And I think there's a lot of people that are more worried about, well, we don't want to turn into the WWE.
1: Yeah. And, and, and again, having those multiple segments um, that that's okay. You know, like um, most team I've been associated with it's the guys driving the cars and working on the cars and maybe even engineering the cars to a certain level, they're racers. They want to see good racing. If you do something dirty to us, I want our driver to get out and punch that other guy in the face. Like that's, that's what they're about. And they, when they hear the term WWE being applied to that, like they throw up, they like, well, we want this to be good racing, whether it's open wheel racing or stock car racing. They're in the minority, like, and, and I, I would be, I'm not a racer, but I'm more leaning towards their side than the general population, which is, you know, a lot of people watch NASCAR for loud personalities, if they haven't, and uh, crashes, like there's data to support that. No one wants to admit it, but that's that's why they're watching, and that's why some of the bigger tracks get more views because people know that there's just going to be two wrecks probably to take out three quarters of the field, and you know that's unfortunate. It's like it's a ton of money for the teams to spend and, and do all that, but that's the product that you have, and there's there's nothing against the fact of marketing to both of those people we're talking to both of both of those people. So, um, yeah, I don't, um, look, you know, look at drive to survive in formula one, like that's all behind the scenes and it's, it's kind of, uh, taken America by storm, but it's also because they're also the first and they're also the, um, the production value was super high. And one of the key things that I've seen working with teams, cause we've talked about doing our own reality shows, is getting people to participate. Um when I was at Ganassi multiple times, I wanted to do something like that and nobody wanted to participate. And so to have Drive and Survive in the first year get some pretty big names. And then once the show took off, then Ferrari got involved and everyone jumped in. But um uh that's that's key. You know, everyone needs to be pulling in the same direction. And at the end of the day, it's all about generating money. Like good racing, unfortunately, doesn't justify money, like it just doesn't. Um, we are well past that era, um, you know, good racing from the fifties to 80, you know, good racing would, would create money. Uh, it just doesn't do it anymore. It has to be good racing plus, 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 and those pluses are changing almost every two or three years. It changes like what, what the entity needs to bring in that audience together.
0: I also think one of the challenges Right. To, to go with. And we talk when you, when you're talking about like you were talking about, you were doing it Ganassi and get people to participate. Right. Like I have this in my own little two brain cell brain, this concern that some people don't want people to see truly how they are, who they are Monday through Thursday. Right. Now, yeah. so so like I think back, you know, and and I'm sorry, I'm gonna forget the, the proper name of it, but Bubba Wallace did that deal on Facebook leading into the season at Petty. And I can't remember the name of it, but it was like a six small six episode deal on oh, Facebook. Yeah, yeah. 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 And um and like he he legitimately had moments in there, you know, when, when people talk about he had a you know a problem with anxiety and so forth and in depression, there were moments while you were watching that. If you were somebody that had anxiety or dealt with depression uh, yeah. it, or, or could see the, the invisible illnesses, if you will, I, I picked up on that. I knew what it yeah. looked like. And, yeah. and that was real. And like, yeah. and people got to, Oh, he, you know, it's so dramatic or whatever, but it's you want to see real. that. <laughs> You want to see Dale Jr and Clint Boyer drinking beer hanging out in the infield at Talladega or or whatever yeah. the case is right but it's yeah. like we we ask for one thing but then we want to temper it because maybe maybe that's too close to home at that point maybe that's yeah. too much like me
1: Yeah I um I don't know him uh but Bubba Wallace you know he did that documentary he also did um uh, the documentary on Netflix, I forget the name of it. Um, I would probably guess he doesn't want to be like the center of attention. He just wants to go out and race cars. But when he decides to go all in, he he lifts a skirt up and he's like, this is who I am and take it or leave it. Uh, this is me. I'm not going to change. And um, when he gets choked up and when he I, like, I would imagine uh, the stress of driving is this much and the stress of life on him is this much. And um uh he's probably in very uncomfortable shoes uh for a normal person. And so uh I think a lot of people um realize that, you know, there's always going to be your a-holes online that will blow them up for the stupidest reasons, which you know that's usually an indication of that the person typing has a problem. But um when you can get people part- to participate in stuff like that, maybe not a full out you know, series, but if you have a personality in your team that has diabetes or something like that. And they're willing to say, "Yep, yeah, I have this or whatever this is. That's where these things really get traction. And that's when, that's when uh, sponsors pay attention. And it's like, Ooh, wow. Now, okay. I didn't know we could do something like this. And now instead of being a podcast then having an ad sliced in every five minutes, the ad is, the ad is the podcast and you can't fast forward it because it's so intertwined. You can't get rid of it. That's where we're going to. I think, I think advertisers have always wanted to try and get there, but it's just been a very slow moving process. And, um, you know, I watch a lot of YouTubers. I listen to a lot of podcasts and uh, some are getting better on how they integrate a sponsor message where you cannot fast forward or you cannot skip. So, so we're getting to that point, but back to Bubba, like that's, that's real stuff. Um, And uh, I I feel for him because like, I know how stressful it is just purely from a driver standpoint and not letting the team down. And then he has all of these other life issues to deal with. That's tough. And he's, you know, what is he? 32, 28, something like that. I mean, I don't yeah,
0: know how old he is, not that old. No, <laughs> he, he, no, not not that old to be in a situation where you're putting an entire right. organization on your shoulders, right? right? Or, or yeah. having enough experience, right? Enough yeah. n- enough shoulder space, if you will, to take yeah. your licks to to be able to do that. And, and you're absolutely right. you know, Brad, the one thing, uh, you know, and people that have listened to the podcast, you know, know the podcast for me, during my tough time with with my late wife coming down with cancer and her MS and passing away and so forth, like the podcast was therapeutic, yep. to 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 legitimately let people know, you know what, uh, there's no wall over here. I, you mm-hmm. know, as you s- use the phrase here, lift up the skirt. Here's everything that you see, and yep. I, I honestly believe that certain individuals that have some sort of financial position in the world that pride and ego, they can't lay it down. They, they can't, they cannot open the door and say, I am going to be vulnerable as a human being to society because all of my sponsors, customers in one way, shape, or form have something like me, have something that's similarity wise to drive them to, to, to support, to spend money buy our products and brands.
1: Yeah, Cause it, it, helps everybody in including the, the series that that particular team might be involved in because of the drive to survive example. Um, I married two kids. Uh, my kids are 21 and 18. Um, none of them, my wife or my kids have ever been to a race. I've been, I've been doing this longer than they've been alive and they just have no interest and, uh, I don't force it. And I, and I, I'm always asking them like, you know, what apps are you using? Have you heard of this person? Like just trying to get a barometer, but, um, it's, it's just not a big deal for them. But, uh, my wife started watching drive to survive with me because it was, you know, tailing to COVID or whatever it was. And my wife who does not care at all about racing, she was asking me when is the formula one race on? Because she had what we had been watched binge watched maybe the first season and she was interested in watching the race then, so, um, you know, you hear it, at least I've heard it over and over again. You need to educate these people and then get them into the actual event. I watched it happen in my own house and I was like, that's, that's how you do it. And, uh, you, know, you know, you see the belt on my, on my deal. Like, I think the business side of WWE is, is still one of the best business models out there because you look at total divas. Um, I used to work with someone, she'd never watched wrestling. She loved total divas, but that was an entry point to watch the main shows on Monday or Thursday. So, um, the shoulder programming around individual motorsports or sports in general is critical to continuing the storyline. So people can find their way in and then get to their main product critical. Oh, and that, critical.
0: that That is absolutely 100%. And I can say that from my own standpoint, um, uh, because you know I, I mentioned earlier about Yellowstone Taylor Sheridan there's a show that he did called The Last Cowboy and I caught one episode and from that point binge watched 3 seasons yes. bought a subscription to a channel so all that I on the fire stick so that I could watch the third season yes. because it had such a draw of the drag racing or motorsports world of For these riders, right? They're on these yeah. horses and they're, they're racing horses, right? You know, reigning horses, if you will, mm-hmm. for, for these team owners and the pressure is there to perform. No. I, you know, it, against, you know, 18 or 32 of the best in the country. And there's always somebody coming after you. And there's this personality difference. And there's the hater in the group and the prima donna and the golden boy. And it's just this d- dramatic deal. And now I'm like, now I'm hooked. Yeah. Like now, yeah. now I'm looking to see when I can actually go watch an event in person because I'm yeah. that interested in it. Uh, yeah. So I, I totally agree with you on that aspect. Yeah. Well, Brad, I've held you up, had you on. I really appreciate it for a long period of time. I do need to ask you a couple more questions. Give my listeners, if they're out there and they're avid motorsports, they're trying to build their brand, they're trying to get, you know, do something different to get sponsors attention, create new partnerships, give them one small tidbit to focus on just one breadcrumb.
1: I would I would use LinkedIn as much as possible, um, I would imagine the majority of the people that they're going to want to talk to are going to be beyond LinkedIn anyway. Um, and don't be afraid to share your ideas in a public forum, um, you know, a lot of people get really protective of their ideas. Like I'm the opposite. Give an idea out; it's harder to execute. So, um, but as you're doing that, the process, you'll start to gain people's mind share and be like, "Oh, that's pretty smart. Never th- never uh, thought of that." Or they'll they'll start to get a relationship with you, even though there may not be a two way like this. So um, use LinkedIn, Um, I would also do a lot of the similar things on LinkedIn as on TikTok. Uh, Both of those algorithms are really producing a lot of uh, organic reach that you don't have to pay for and you can get a pretty decent sized audience really quickly, a lot of like-minded people. Um, And you can never know too many people. So when you're at an event, at a race, I don't care if the grocery store um, have your elevator pitch, whether it's you're pitching a sponsor or pitching whatever, or you're pitching yourself, um, have that ready to go um, and be genuine with people and um, be inquisitive, ask them questions. Um, a lot of times I've met people say, hey, no, no, it's, Reno you know, Ricky. And then Ricky goes on and talks for, you know, an hour. And like, you know, so be inquisitive, um, be real. And, you uh, um, digest as much information about your particular area as possible. So you become a subject matter expert um, and just kind of continue that rinse and repeat. And uh, that's probably the, the really good starting point for people.
0: That's great advice, especially the LinkedIn piece about research link. LinkedIn has just yeah. uh, abundance amount of research to be able yep. to connect with individuals yep. okay so one thing we do here on the show brad that uh probably unlike most motorsports shows am gonna ask you two questions one is you get to eat dinner with anybody dead or alive in motorsports who are you having dinner with
1: uh in motorsports um uh even though i i said hi to him really quick i would love to uh have dinner with Dan Gurney. Um, I was maybe in high school. We both were out in California. He rode up in his alligator motorcycle to one of the cruise nights I went to. I had no idea who he was at the time. And over the time, I've become more familiar with his company and what he has done behind the wheel. And I think that would be fascinating.
0: That's awesome. Dan's never made an appearance on the podcast. So there we go for Dan. Yeah.
1: All
0: right. This is the one that always gets everybody that comes on the show. When you get to send one WTF card to anybody in motorsports, who are you sending it to? Oh,
1: geez. Um, I, I would, I would send it to uh, the front office of NASCAR in Daytona uh, with regards to the TV negotiation process. Um, to me, to me, it is a very easy thing to figure out with the teams, but it just seems they're making it difficult. And, um, that, that could be a plank that nobody wants to walk down. So like that, that, that would be my WTF.
0: (laughs) Oh, and that, that's a good one. And, And especially in this time period, right. I am looking forward, uh, with anticipation over the course of the next I guess you would say five to eight months is probably when we'll probably hear these negotiations just come to a head. Uh, We didn't talk about the RTA program and and Michael Jordan and 2311. I mean, I uh, I'm sorry, it's business. We don't have that in NHRA. We don't have a charter system uh, to create value internally into our teams. And it's something that the RTA, the charter system is definitely intriguing to me. And I enjoy reading and watching and learning about it. So uh, I too, with you, we'll see what happens in the next five to eight months, (laughs) as I'm sure we will have some awesome social media one-liners that will come out over the course Uh, of the future. (laughs) Well, Brad, where can anybody that's interested listening out here catch up with you if they want to pick your brain or follow you out here in the world of motorsports?
1: LinkedIn is probably the best bet. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn pretty much all day. My my green dot is usually illuminated on LinkedIn, so Brad Zimmerman. and uh, uh, There's a few Brad Zermans. I'm the one in uh, Davidson, North Carolina. And um, Twitter, um, I'm not super active on Twitter. Uh, However, I do watch Twitter a lot. Um, but that's uh, Hot Rod Dad 74 uh, is, is, my, is my Twitter handle. But yeah, uh, LinkedIn is probably the best way to get a hold of
0: me. Well, there you go. Brad, once again, I really do appreciate you stopping by, taking some time out of your busy schedule. I'll be excited to see what exciting things you have in the work over at Pratt Miller. And as always, you're always welcome back anytime something peaks the top of your head and you want to drop some knowledge on our listener base.
1: Okay, thanks, Don. It's great.
0: That's this week's episode of Racers and Rental Cars. We'll see you next week. Let's put it up for the weekend. Whoa, yeah.